0: Hi everyone. My name is Leo Nissan, and this is the Berkeley Political Review Politics podcast. Today's episode is dedicated to the earthquake that took place in Morocco, as we get an inside look at the situation from a Berkeley student from that region. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce
1: you all to my friend Ziad. Hi, my name is Ziad Cohen. I'm a major in Integrative Biology in the College of Letters of Science, and I'm from a city called Bez in
0: Morocco. Thanks so much for that, Ziad. So. Once again, to reiterate, this podcast is dedicated to the lives lost in the Moroccan earthquake natural disaster. Our love is with everyone there, and we look f- we look to gain insight, personal stories, and thoughts on the situation that has arisen. With that being said, can you share with us a personal story or insight related to the situation on the ground?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for that, Leo. Uh, well, I don't have that many family members that live uh, in the epicenter of the earthquake that did happen. Um, I have two cousins. Thank God they were not harmed. Uh, But the earthquake kind of brought about and shows that the people that were more devastated were not the people who lived in the city, but people who lived on the outskirts and more in the mountainous regions, Uh, uh, people called Berber people or uh, Amazigh people, as we refer to them in Morocco. Uh, That seems to be the people who took the major brunt of the earthquake as of now. Um, yeah.
0: It's very insightful, thank you. So just to get everyone sort of filled in on the basic situation, on September 8th, a 6.8 magnitude earthquake hit Morocco. More than 2,900 people were killed and over 5,500 people injured. In total, about 300,000 were affected. And some of the biggest concerns that sort of came out right away was whether um, the United Nations was sort of had a fast enough response and how the infrastructure was going to be tested during this time. So with that being said, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, Well, in terms of infrastructure, I do think Morocco does have a a really good infrastructure uh, in the cities, but as soon as you leave the cities, it kind of becomes every man for himself in terms of there isn't really a permit system or anything. If you own land, you can build whatever you like on it. Uh, And to be honest, no one really goes out to the middle of the mountains and checks on people to see if their building is up to code. So I see where shortfalls where shortfalls could happen, and how certainly the country could improve upon that, but uh, yeah, it's an unfortunate case for the people who do live in the mountains, because they obviously never expected something like this to happen.
0: That's a very good point, and as a result of that, there are reports coming out saying that of the Atlas region mountains specifically, that there has been some historical monuments and museums that have suffered some damage. So with that being said, in such times, how do Moroccan communities come together? And can you give us a glimpse into the cultural fabric of Morocco during such a crisis?
1: Yeah, Leo, so Morocco is an ancient country. Uh, it's people that have been around for a long time. And uh, not only that, but it, they're kind of, like I mentioned before, two kind of main groups of people that live in Morocco, kind of people who uh, live in the cities, kind of speak Arabic, uh, it's people you will probably most meet if you do travel there. Uh, But the people that were affected here in the earthquake are people who are Amazigh and Berber in origin. Uh, They actually speak a whole different language than people from the city, which is one reason why it's kind of hard to gauge the information coming out of the region now. Uh, When it comes to museums and uh, history that's kind of being lost now, I I have heard reports. um, There was a report of like a uh, a thousand-year-old mosque being like just gone in the rubble. Uh, The way that kind of plays towards the cultural aspect is... Obviously, when Moroccans see these scenes, uh, there's a large Moroccan diaspora. They it tends to uh, reflect like uh, emotion in them, and which kind of gives them more to like donations and help from the community abroad. Um, and yeah, Morocco is is a community of togetherness. So in times of crisis like this, you know families do open their homes, people do give charity. I mean that's part of not only our you know humanistic side, but it's also a religious obligation for us.
0: It's beautiful to hear just how strong the Moroccan community has come together, not only from a religious fulfillment aspect, but also just from a community aspect, bouncing back from this natural disaster. So tying that into my next question, Morocco has been extremely reluctant, actually, to accept any sort of financial aid from colonial powers. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, well, by colonial cal- powers, if you're mentioning like, countries like France, yeah, there is a deep history between um, France and uh, not only Morocco, even our uh, neighboring country, Algeria, um, of colonialism for many years, um, uh, atrocities that I won't even begin to speak up on here. Um, So I do understand my country's stance regarding this and I, I totally respect it.
0: It is interesting to see just how the tricky history of nations plays out during times of crisis in the present day. So with that being said, Another aspect to the whole humanitarian donation aspect is the relationship between the U.S. and Morocco. So Morocco was actually the first country to recognize America as its independent nation back when they declared independence from Britain. Um, A statement put out by America said that or by the White House, um, should I correct myself, say that they were going to make up to $1 million in initial humanitarian assistance available to support the people in the areas most affected by the earthquake and its aftershocks. Do you think that it's enough, or were you a lot of because a lot of people were sort of criticizing the government right now because we have such a long and strong relationship with Morocco that we should have been sending more people and more aid over there.
1: Uh yeah, Leon. Uh, I do wish you know as a citizen of America that my tax dollars would would preferably go to um, people affected. humanitarian issues, not only Morocco, but anywhere in the world uh, when it does happen. Um, You mentioned the long history between the U.S. and Morocco that we share, and it is kind of sad to see how little money um, was being allocated towards this issue. And I also believe that's what's contributing to the kind of the low donation coming from the international community right now is kind of like a donation fatigue kind of caused by like modern social media and just the way the world works nowadays, how information gets blasted to everyone at once. Um, Like we heard about the recent earthquakes in uh, Turkey and in Syria. So I don't know, maybe people have been desensitized towards these types of problems and don't really realize that there are actual humans being affected um, through these uh, natural disasters.
0: Certainly, it definitely seems like there was a bit of donation fatigue after, a few months ago there was a different devastating earthquake in Turkey and parts of Syria that the entire international community came together to donate and send humanitarian aid for. It sort of feels like a lot of the time, the media kind of just wants to slap one sticker on the entire Middle East as one big sort of region altogether when in reality, Morocco's in North Africa, Turkey and Syria are quite a ways away, it's different people, we're all under the sort of Middle Eastern banner, however, there's different culture, different ways of life, and it's different countries battling their own sort of different individual struggles and battles, so I can definitely see where you're coming from, how the the world is sort of having a bit of donation fatigue. So Morocco has its geographical challenges. For our listeners who might be unaware, could you explain why Morocco is prone to earthquakes?
1: Uh, yeah, so Morocco, Morocco predominantly sits on the Atlas mountain range, um, which, um, if you go back in the history, is actually connected to the Appalachian Mountains. These would be the same mountain range. So these are really high mountain ranges um, that are susceptible to seismic activity. Also, Morocco is um, uh, located on the Iberian type of peninsula between the Eurasian and African tectonic plates that separates the two continents. And uh, when you have a convergence like this, it really causes significant stress. And uh, and this is obviously released in the form of earthquakes and tremors, aftershocks, stuff like that. Um, and yeah, uh, it's also really hard to uh, get um, food and water and essential equipment to the people that are in need right now because of these mountain ranges and uh, where these people live in the country. Uh, there aren't really like uh, paved roads that lead to the villages Um, Most people don't have cars, most people live like a herder lifestyle, basically with livestock or farming. So yeah, these are like simple people and uh, sad what's happening to them right now.
0: So how do you think your academic journey at UC Berkeley has shaped your understanding of these natural disasters?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm an incoming, uh, or I am a transfer student. I'm, I'm coming from Santa Monica College. This is my first semester at UC Berkeley. Um, I actually took this opportunity to take a really interesting class this semester. It's called uh, Public Health 155E. It's uh, discussing homelessness and uh, the course is titled Seeing People. Uh, This course kind of really plays into the situation that's going on in Morocco. Uh, Because of the earthquake, uh, uh, not only are people that are at the epicenter uh, affected, but people also around the perimeter of the epicenter, so uh, big uh, touristic uh, cities like Marrakesh, Egadir, some of these people uh, live in houses that are 500 years old. Uh, most of the cities are very old, like I mentioned. It is an ancient country um, that stretches far back, 5,000 years. Uh, people have lived in the Moroccan region for around 50,000 years. Um, and yeah, so these people now have to basically not, there's a no, st- no stay at home order. So basically they have to sleep on the street and rely on government assistance. Thankfully, the government seems to be on top of this and um, they are distributing tents, food, water, sleeping mats. But, you know, it's it it goes to see I want to see how the government really um, takes initiative. And hopefully these people that are on the streets right now, I'm talking about thousands of people. Hopefully, you know, we can find them housing and we can get them back to their houses and, you know, fix the infrastructure so they don't stay like this. That's very insightful. So given this, how do you see the future of infrastructure and
0: readiness in Morocco? What's your personal take on the best way forward for a safer Morocco?
1: Um, Honestly, when it comes to infrastructure, I feel like uh, basically updating buildings, updating scaffolding, this is a major issue. Like the city I'm from, Fez, it's a 5,000 year old city. You have buildings that are still up from that time and uh, basically, like, you know, you always hear in the news that a building fell or something fell. You know, I'd, I'd hope for the government to really take initiative, like I said before, to update scaffolding, put some money up, and ensure the safety for, you know, the citizens as a whole. Certainly. It's really important
0: to sort of invest in disaster-proofing a lot of the historical monuments while still preserving the heritage So they, st- so the country doesn't seem to lose that due to just how old they really are.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with you, uh, Leon. Um, Also, I'd like to say, uh, there is a mandatory uh, conscription uh, into the military in Morocco or a mandatory service, I'd say, uh, two years for every adult male. Um, And that was instituted a couple years ago, I'd say three years ago, uh, don't quote me on that. But um, yeah, I I believe this really did help the country um, in this time as there was basically uh, not a lot of military or national guard available, um, this kind of increased the supply of people that are, you know, basically have to go and serve and help the communities. Um, I would like to see more hospitals. I would like to see more, you know, of a uh, national emergency system, uh, an upgrade, an upgrading of the 911 system or emergency system, more uh, helicopters, because you can't really reach those uh, mountainous areas without a helicopter. If you want to go by car, it's going to, it's going to take you a long time absolutely and i see just how the
0: mandatory 2 year service for the young men over there coincides with the decision behind not accepting a lot of different countries monetary aid offer
1: yeah that is true um going back to that point um you know we do have a you know a long history with france as a colonial power but you know we're not just rejecting money from anyone who gives it obviously a clear purpose and the way kind of france is you know describing people from morocco or our country in the media over there like we did accept donations from france uh, not from france from spain which was a colonial power and did occupy um the Sahara desert for a, a long period of time so it's not like we're holding an immense grudge but i mean if people want to vilify us in the media then you know definitely we're not going to you know kneel over for them Certainly,
0: and in terms of donating and giving back to the people who are in need in Morocco, what, can, what are some resources that our viewers could sort of look into or educate themselves or donate to, to sort of be able to make an impact back over there?
1: Yeah, so definitely I'd like to um, plug the Red Crescent, obviously the first source to go to, but as UC Berkeley students, um, if you ever see the um, African Maghreb Student Union tabling, they, they usually table um, in the mornings. Definitely go over there and, and donate. They're also running a, a fundraiser right now. You can also go to uh, com. They're also running donations. And, uh, yeah, it, it not only has to be monetary, there's also lots of food drives going on where uh, people are setting up basically like canned goods or clothing that they're shipping on boats or uh, on airliners um, to Morocco. Certainly. And in terms of the way a, the
0: Berkeley Student Association, the AMSU, um. You know, student organization, representation of Moroccan students here at Berkeley are handling the efforts they are tabling every single morning, just as Yad had said. And also they are, for viewers listening, they are a brand new organization here on campus. I believe this is their first semester. So right at the birth of their conception, they are right on it with directing efforts to all the other Middle Eastern organizations on how we can help. So.
1: So as we wrap up, are there any final thoughts or messages you'd like to share with our listeners, Ziad? Um, Yeah, I hope, you know, if there's one thing I can give away from this message is obviously go donate, go give your support, but um, also maybe a positive can come out of this, Um, you know, uh, I urge everyone to educate themselves about the beautiful country of Morocco, my motherland. um, And yeah, to basically understand first steps to empathy. And uh, for those interested in supporting release, please donate, as I mentioned uh, before. And uh, thanks for having me, Leo. Thank you for being here, Ziad. And thank you for everyone
0: listening. Uh, This has been the Berkeley Political Review Politics Podcast. And we'll see you next time.